you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All right. So if you remember from last week, we talked about godly relationship in this in the series that we're in on the life of King David called Heart Transplant. We talked specifically about godly relationship. We saw what godly relationship is and how it's lived out through the perspective of Jonathan and his relationship with David. But today we're going to be diving into a story that's actually the opposite, the polar opposite. Because today we're diving into the story of, of Saul's relationship with David, which is really the antithesis of Jonathan's relationship. Because while Jonathan loved David, Saul wanted to kill him. He wanted to kill him. And, and it wasn't always like that. And as we dive into the story, we're going to find out just what it was that caused this dramatic shift in Saul. And one of the main things that we're going to find through this text today is the fact that unsurrendered idols cause us to act insane. That's our big idea today. Unsurrendered idols cause us to act insane. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fall on this place. We know that you're already here, but we pray that you would just fill us. As your word says, as Jesus tells us to, to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit and how much more will he give it. So Father, I pray that you would just fill us, fill me, that you would fall fresh on this place, that we would fill you tangibly, and not just to feel you, but to experience you, to walk with you. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the things that you want to say to us through this text. Things that, that we can't see and we cannot comprehend without your power. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just open us up to this and that you would pour your truth and your life into our hearts and wake us up, revive us, those of us that that are already a part of your body, that belong to Jesus already, I pray that you would just wake us up and renew a fire and a passion deep within us. And I pray as we're going to be diving into this topic of idols, unsurrendered idols, I pray that you would bring these things to the surface of our minds, to the surface of my mind, things that maybe we didn't even know about. And these attitudes too that we harbor. And I pray that you would bring those to the surface of our mind. I pray that you would help us to surrender them so that we can walk in your light and your victory and your love and be your hands and feet, Jesus. And I pray that if there's anybody in here today that doesn't know you, and I know that there are, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that work that only you can do. I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts to your salvation, to your gospel message, Jesus. I pray that you would save them right here, right now. Speak in me and through me, to me and to your people pray all of this in your name, Jesus. We love you and praise you. Amen. <clears throat> all right, so today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18 again. That's where we were at last week, but we're continuing on in that chapter. And just to kind of catch you up to speed, so far in this story, if you've been tracking with us, you know that David and Goliath, that battle has already happened. David has already taken down Goliath, and he's not even supposed to be old enough, technically he's not old enough to be in the army yet. But he faced Goliath, he took him down. Last week we saw that Jonathan bound himself to David, made a covenant with him. 
um, and, and close friendship. That was that picture of godly relationship that we tackled last week. And after that, what happens between then and now, where we're about to dive in, is really uh, the Israelites start kicking butt and taking names against the Philistines. That's what happens. They are just totally victorious in their battles against the Philistines. And this is where we catch up in the text. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. It says this. David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy, and with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. So the first thing that we see in this text is the fact that David's battle against Goliath wasn't some kind of a one-hit wonder, right? He wasn't the one who took Goliath down. It was God, but God never left him. God is still with him, and this boy could straight up fight. He was a warrior, and he was a leader, and the people loved him so much so that Saul actually made him a commander in his army. And so this kid who, again, he's not even old enough to be in the army. He's now a commander, one of the main leaders in that nation, the nation of Israel's army. He was a shepherd boy. You got to remember this. He was a shepherd boy who everybody counted him out. Nobody thought he was qualified to do much of anything other than tend a few sheep. And now he's a warrior. He's a national icon. He's a, he's a hero. And he's one of the main leaders in the nation of Israel. And everybody in this nation loves him. And through all of this, he remains loyal to his king. He remains loyal to Saul. And at this point in time, Saul and David have a really good relationship. They love each other. They have a really good relationship. Saul loves David and respects him as a warrior, as a man, and as his commander in his army. He was the one who promoted him. And David loves and respects Saul as his king. Great relationship. But what's so sad about this story is is almost as quickly as the relationship develops, it's completely destroyed It's completely destroyed, almost as quickly as it develops. And it's not because David sinned against Saul. Right, like Saul, uh, David rather didn't, he didn't stab Saul in the back. He didn't lie to him. He didn't deceive him or anything like that. All of this happened because of a few words and a song. Literally just a few words and a song caused this dramatic shift in Saul's perspective and his relationship with David. He went from loving and respecting David to hating him and loathing him with a passion, just like that. Because what happens, and you can kind of imagine this in your mind, they're riding back in. They've been victorious over the, the, their, their enemies, their greatest enemy at this point in time, the Philistines. So this is a big deal. There's camaraderie. The men are amped. They are pumped, and they're coming back home finally after war. And when they get there, they're met by this big crowd. It's their people, right? And their loved ones, their families, and their their friends. 
And they're there and they're shouting their praises. It's a huge celebration. And this was normal back in that day and age. That's what would happen. And so they're chanting, they're singing, they're dancing, they're, I mean, praising them. And this is happening. Tons of people that are gathered around. But as they ride in, Saul, for whatever reason, starts focusing on a select group of women who were singing and dancing, just like all these other people are, and chanting. But he hones in on them and their song, and a few words in particular in their song catches attention immediately. And these are those words. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now what's really important to understand about this is these women did not mean this in a derogatory or a belittling way. They were not trying to put down their king. They weren't trying to belittle Saul. They were, this isn't a comparison contest. That's not the point of the song. They were actually praising both Saul and David for the victory, both of them. And they were specifically praising David because after all, David is the main reason they won the war. Remember, nobody else would go up against Goliath. Only David did. And after that, he also proved himself as a warrior time and time and time again. So that's why they're praising both Saul and David. And if you really think about it, it's actually kind of doubly praising Saul. Because not only are they saying that Saul is a warrior, he's killed his thousands. That's a big deal. He's a warrior. He's a king. And they're singing his praises, but they're also praising him because they're telling him, look, this was, this was great. You've raised up this leader, this, this commander in your army. Saul was the one who promoted David to a commander. So if anything, they're doubly praising Saul. They're not belittling him. They're not putting him down. But hear me, Saul is so insecure that he can't handle it. He is so insecure that he cannot handle it. A simple song caused Saul to completely shift and his mentality, his views, and his relationship towards David. He, he completely did a 180 degree turn in a relationship with a guy who he loved and respected, and who loved and respected him, and who did everything that he asked him to do, and was successful in everything that he asked him to do. He completely shifted on him, went from loving and respecting him to hating him, and loathing him. And it was all because of a few simple words and a song. It's so amazing how powerful our words can be, isn't it? It's so amazing how powerful just a few simple words can be. And it's interesting because most of the time when we talk about the power in our words, we usually talk about it from the opposite perspective. We, we usually talk about it in terms of being careful what we say. And, and how we say it, because there's so much power in what you say. And that's so true. I don't want to sweep that under the rug. There is power in your words, so be careful what you say and how you say it. But even more important than the words that are said is what we do with the words that are said. What you do with the words that are spoken is more important than the words themselves. Because ultimately, those words don't have any power over your life unless you allow them to, unless you allow them to. 
which is exactly what Saul did in this story. He allowed those few words and that song to control his thoughts, and it drove him mad. He allowed them to creep in, to harbor hatred and jealousy towards David. He could have surrendered it over to God. He could have, as he was being tempted, he could have recognized this is a temptation. No, they're praising me and David. And you know what? David deserves praise too. After all, he's one of the main reasons, if not the main reason, other than God, that we won this victory. And he could have fought for unity. And this this story could be the complete opposite. David and Saul could have had a tremendous relationship. And think about how much these men could have accomplished together. Are you kidding me? Especially with Jonathan? These men would have accomplished so much together. But no. Instead, Saul allowed a few words to creep in and to completely destroy his relationship with David. And it caused him to act insane. It caused him to act completely insane. And we'll see how much in just a moment. But here's a question for you, though. Was it the words that got to Saul? Or was it what the words revealed in Saul that drove him mad and caused him to act insane? Was it the words or what the words revealed? Let's dive into this a little deeper to find out some more. Verse 10. It says, The next day an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. In a nutshell, he started acting crazy. That's what it's saying. David was playing the liar as usual, but Saul was holding a spear and he threw it thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice, twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops and continued to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judea loved David because he was leading the troops. As don't miss how quickly Saul's views and his perspective towards David change. It shifted in an instant. The moment that he heard those words in that song, he instantly changed his perspective towards David, his relationships towards David. And I imagine that the words in that song, they probably played over and over and over in his head, so much so that as they played over, the more that they would play over in his head, the more that his rage and his jealousy and his resentment towards David grew. And it grew so much, so quickly, that he literally tried to kill David, not just once, but twice, the very next day. The very next day, he tried to kill David twice. Saul lost his mind with rage, and he was literally acting insane, completely insane. But why? Why would just a few words and such a brief moment in time cause such a dramatic shift in Saul and his relationship with David? Why is that? 
I'll tell you why. It's because it wasn't the words. It was what the words revealed in Saul. That's why. What they brought to the surface of his mind. And, and see, what those words revealed, what was really already there, is the fact that Saul cared more about his position and his title as a king than he did about the kingdom or even God himself. See, those words in that song, they revealed his deepest love, what he cared about and desired and longed for more than anything else, which was his title, his position along with the control and the power that it came with. And all of that was represented in one thing, the throne. The throne was his idol. It was his idol, what he cared more about more than anything else. And he was so scared that David was going to come in and take away his throne, take away his idol. He was so scared that it drove him mad. He became paranoid. He became filled with rage and filled with resentment towards this man and anger. He loathed him and he hated him. And Saul was so consumed with this that he literally, literally tried to attack David. He tried to kill him multiple times. This man who loved him and respected him more than most anybody else in the entire kingdom, he was now looking at him and treating him as though he was his worst enemy. And that became the lens from which Saul viewed David for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. He hated him so much that he couldn't even stand to be around him. He couldn't stand to think of him. He couldn't stand the sight of him. And if he couldn't kill him, he would push him away, which is exactly what he did. He pushed David away. And he tried to attack him. He tried to kill him for the rest of his life. Guys, this is what unsurrendered idols cause us to do. They cause us to lash out. They cause us to Look at people through this lens of hatred and resentment and contentment and lash out to those people, even people, hear me, even people that we love and that love us the most. Even people that we love and that love us the most because that's what they do. Unsurrendered idols cause us to act insane. And see, in this story, Saul shows us the cause for unsurrendered idols. Again, or I'm sorry, the cause for insanity. Again, unsurrendered idols. But then what's the cure? What's insanity's cure? Right? That's, that's the title of the message, insanity's cure. So what is it? I'm glad you asked. Let's check this out in a different chapter. Same book, 1 Samuel, a few chapters later, chapter 23, verses 15 through 18. It's not going to be up on the screen, but you can listen or you can turn there yourself. It says this. David was in the wilderness of Ziph and Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David and Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God, saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. So while Saul was trying to kill David, his son Jonathan 
went to David. He sought out David, went to him. He encouraged him, and he made another covenant with him. This is the second time that that Jonathan has made a covenant with David. We talked about the first one last week. And if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that Jonathan really paints this picture and, and models for us godly relationship, what it looks like and how it's lived out. He modeled that for us. And in this text, Jonathan's doing this again. He's modeling something for us, something else for us. And this is so amazing. We, we can't lose sight of this. You've got to understand the background here because you can't forget who Jonathan is. Jonathan is Saul's son. In other words, Jonathan is second in command. He is the one who is supposed to be next in line for the throne. So if anybody has a reason to hate David and to be resentful and to want to retaliate against him, wouldn't it be Jonathan? Like even more than his dad Saul, wouldn't it be Jonathan? But he doesn't. He doesn't hate him. He doesn't loathe him or resent him. He celebrates the fact that David is the next king. He is celebrating this. And it begs the question, why? Why on earth and how on earth would he be able to do this? And don't just gloss over this, right? Like, like, let's get real for a second. Let's take the masks off and get real. How in the world would Jonathan, the guy that's next in line for the throne, and think about this. He has been raised since he was a kid to think, hey, you are going to be the next king. And everybody that he passes, hey, there's the next king right there. Second in command of the army, too. That's the next king right there. And he's got this respect as this prince, the next king in line. He was taught and molded this mindset, getting him ready, preparing him to be the next king. So how on earth is he now not only okay, but completely happy with the fact that he is going to have to step down so that David can step up and become the next king instead of him. How on earth is he happy about this? I'll tell you how. It's because Jonathan understood that the kingdom, ultimately it didn't belong to his dad's soul. And it didn't belong to him. And it didn't even belong to David. See, Jonathan understood that the kingdom belongs to God and to God alone and no one else. And Jonathan understood that God is the one who raised David up. God is the one who gifted David. God is the one who called him. And God is the one who anointed him to be king. This was God's plan. So if in God's sovereign plan, Jonathan was the one who needed to step down in order for David to step up into the position that God had for him, guess what? Jonathan was happy to do it. He was happy to do it. And you want to know why? It's because Jonathan found his contentment in his God. Jonathan found his contentment in his God. Not in a position or in a title or in the control and power that comes with it or anything else. He found his contentment in his God. That is why he was able to celebrate David becoming the next king of Israel. That is why he was happy about the fact that he was going to have to step down so that David could step up into the throne that was originally meant for him. 
See, Jonathan understood that this story, ultimately, it's not, it wasn't about him, it wasn't about Saul, it wasn't about David. It is about, was and still about God and his kingdom and what he is doing in his kingdom. So you want to know what the cure for insanity is? Insanity's cure. And not only for insanity, but anything that you will ever face in your life. Guys, it's Jesus Christ. It is God in flesh. Jesus Christ. Jonathan simply points us to him. Because it's only in Christ that we find our cure. Not just for insanity, but anything that we will ever face in our lives. It's only in Christ that we can find satisfaction, that we can find contentment, that we can find fulfillment in our identity. And it is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place that we find salvation for our souls. Guys, Jesus is our cure for anything and everything that we will ever face in our lives. But a couple of the main things that will separate us from him are unsurrendered idols and Saul-like attitudes. Unsurrendered idols and Saul-like attitudes. They will separate us from God. They will separate us from each other. And they will separate us from God's plan and purpose for our lives faster than most anything else will. So here in a moment, when we take communion together, I want to encourage you to ask yourself a couple of questions. And not just yourself, but I want to encourage you to ask God a couple of questions. And be honest with yourself and be honest with him. The first question is this. What are your unsurrendered idols? What are my unsurrendered idols? The things that I am putting up on a pedestal. The things that I'm putting in a place in my life, I'm looking at it, desiring it, longing for it more than anything else, even more than God himself. And the second question is this, who am I being a salt to? Who am I being a salt to? Who am I allowing rage and control and resentment to control me and to lash out at? What are my unsurrendered idols and who am I being a Saul to? So as you ask yourself this and as you ask God this, honestly, he'll show you. He'll bring those things to your surface of your mind and you may not like them, but he'll bring them. And so from there, your job is to respond. Your job is to surrender them to him. And he'll help you with that. But I want to encourage us as we take communion today, ask him those questions. Ask him those questions and surrender those things to him. The altar is open. If you need somebody to pray with, I would love to pray with you. And if you're here today, if you've never surrendered your life and your heart to Jesus Christ before, then your response is not communion. Your response is to give your life and your heart to Jesus. The amazing truth about the gospel, one of the most amazing things about it is the fact that Jesus meets us where we're at and he saves us where we're at. So right here, right now, no matter what you're struggling with, when, no matter what kind of baggage that you came in here with, you can give your life to Jesus. You can make that decision, that commitment right here, right now. 
And so that's your response today, and you have nothing to wait for. The hard work has already been done in your place. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray for those of us who are followers of Christ, who have already given our life to Jesus, and who are repentant, meaning we're not perfect, but we're honestly, through our failures, our shortcomings, through our weaknesses, we're honestly trusting and obeying Him. If that's you today, then I want to encourage you to come up, take communion, ask yourself those questions, surrender those things to Him, and take communion. And you're not going to have somebody coming up like an usher telling you, okay, now it's time to come up. This is between you and Jesus. So as soon as I'm done praying, whenever you feel God's prompting, you come up and you take it. You just take the bread, you dip it into the grape juice. And again, the altar's open. And again, if you're making your decision to follow Christ for the first time, then do not leave here today without telling someone. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bring to the forefront of our mind these things that we see in this text, these things that that Saul struggled with and that he shows us, these unsurrendered idols and this mindset that, that takes over our thoughts and our actions as a result. Father, you know that we can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. And you know that we need you so desperately. Please, Holy Spirit, reveal these things to us. Give us the motivation and the desire to want to surrender them to you. Give us a passion and a desire for you and for your kingdom over and above anything else in our lives. Father, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that you would open their eyes and their heart. Holy Spirit, do that work, that work of salvation in their life that only you can do. Help us to be people that respond to you. Not just people that come to listen to a sermon, sing a few songs, but people that come here to experience you and to leave change on a consistent basis. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you, Jesus, for your work on the cross in our place. And as we take communion, I pray that you would help remind us just how powerful this is, what you've done for us, how much you love us. And I pray that that is our desire, that is our motivation to want to continue surrendering our life to you and walking in light of your freedom and your victory. I pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I, just want, I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to. 
um, and, and you haven't been giving it to him. But I want to encourage you to give that to him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.